What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the MMA Torch Livecast Tuesday Conversation. I am your host, uh, MMA Torch Editor Jamie Pennick. It is Tuesday, September 28, 2010, and we've got a, a bit of a reunion show here today as uh, our good friend Sean Ennis is returning to the MMA Torch fold and is uh, live with us tonight, uh, as well as my normal uh, co-host, Matt Pelkey. Rich Hansen is out. He may uh, attempt to make a cameo with us here today, but... Uh, uh, baby duty called him away. So, uh, guys, we've got a, a big uh, lot of show, stuff to talk about on the show today. Uh, but first off, Rich, great to have you back on the show, uh, and thanks for joining us tonight. We're talking to, oh, I'm sorry, Sean. Rich. <laughs> I, I called you Rich, and that was that's a terrible start to the show. Sean, <laughs> welcome back to the show tonight. My apologies. Thanks, man. Good to be here. Uh, well. Right off the bat, 119, uh, UFC 119 out of Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, last Saturday night. Uh, Frank Mir and Mirko Krokop in what can only be called one of the worst main events in UFC history. Um, a lot of people considering this one of the worst events in UFC history. I don't know that I'd go that far. There were some redeeming qualities on the events, but uh, a lot of lackluster action, some controversial uh judges' decisions on, on the, the fight card and, and more, but uh, the main event left a terrible taste in uh, pretty much everyone's mouths. So uh, just overall thoughts on the event um, a, a, as a whole, and then we'll uh, get into the breakdowns. But, Sean, your thoughts overall on the event uh, on Saturday night? Yeah, I had low expectations going in, and, uh, you know, they were fulfilled, basically. Um, you know, we were talking beforehand. I live about an hour north of Indianapolis, and uh, I actually didn't go to the to the event, you know. I uh, and, and I'm someone, you know. I've traveled uh, three hours to Cincinnati to to check out UFC 77 when they were, when they were there to see uh, Rich Franklin and Anderson Silva. But um, you know, especially once they replaced Nogueira with Krokop, I mean, and the rest of the card, you know, the only fight that was really intriguing, well, there, were, there was the Adam, uh, Adam Dunham and uh, Sean Shirk, and there was Steven Gillard, and that was pretty much the end of it. Um, you know, so there was really nothing. Uh, nothing to see here, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I, I also, I usually have uh, gatherings at my house for um, the pay-per-views uh, on a monthly basis. We didn't have, we didn't even have one this month. We just went over to the, uh, the one of the local places showing the event and, and saw it there. Um, so, you know, overall, um, you know, nothing promised, nothing delivered for me. 
Yeah. Uh, Matt, your thoughts overall on the event? Yeah, same thing. Um, I didn't have terribly high expectations, but, you know, we, we love to say the, the cards with low expectations are always the ones that end up delivering on the fights, but this one just delivered on what was on paper, which wasn't very much. Um, usually, at least when you get, you know, two legends, and I use that term loosely, uh, in a main event, even if it's you know, doesn't have, you know, title ramifications or anything like that, uh, generally the crowd is at least enough into it to make it seem more important than it is, but uh, I, I don't know what that was that we saw in the main event. Um, you know, uh, it seemed like a gentleman's agreement to not fight each other, which is an odd thing to do in a fight. Um, but really for me, this I, I didn't even really like Stevens Gillard. Um, I'm with Rich when he was railing against Greg Jackson, turning all his fighters into, uh, you know, he he basically has the most boring group of fighters between you know, the the big guys like, uh, you know, Melvin Gillard and George St. Pierre and Rashad Evans. I'm just hoping and praying that John Bones Jones can get out of there before he's uh, limited, just like all the other Greg Jackson fighters are. Um, but this is really just a one-fight card for me with uh, Dunham and Shirk, which I, I thought was a great fight, but even that was marred by what I thought was a terrible decision. So not really one you should uh, go out of your way to, to order the replay on. Yeah, we'll get more into that fight as we uh, go on. If you want to get any thoughts in on the show uh, today on 119 or any of the other topics we'll touch on, call in to 646-716-8090. Press 1 to indicate you want to talk. We'll try to get uh, calls in throughout the show. You can also uh, join us in the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash MMATorch. Let's start with the main event. Uh, Frank Mir, Mirko Krokop, obviously with Antonio Rodrigo Noguera pulling out of the event uh, with an injury in five weeks' notice. Um, you know, Krokop stepped in. He sounded like a beaten man before he came into the cage. I mean, from uh, talking about not having a full training camp and knowing he wasn't going to be fully prepared for this fight to suffering an eye injury the week uh, leading into the event. Uh, I mean, there, there was just – it was a bad situation for Krokop, and – Quite honest, this was a fight he shouldn't have even been involved in. Uh, I mean, obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, but uh, he really should not have been involved in this fight at all. He seemed disinterested throughout, uh, unable to engage or, or even attempt anything, which made uh, Frank Mir's complete lack of anything throughout the entire fight uh, all the more disconcerting because uh, Krokop appeared to not present any challenge whatsoever and yet Frank Mir took 14 minutes of doing nothing um, before he landed that knee as Krokop was trying to get a little aggressive late in the fight. So, I mean, just a really, really terrible fight, terrible main event. Uh, people were leaving the arena uh, in at the end of the second round. I mean, it was just a, a really, really, really bad main event. Uh, to, to drive that point home, uh, it was the only knockout on this on this fight card and Dana White gave out an extra fight of the night bonus in lieu of giving Frank Mir a knockout of the night bonus. Uh, that's how much he hated that fight and uh, how down he was on Frank Mir for that performance. To his credit, Frank Mir was down on himself uh, at the end of the fight, but also said, you know, uh, a shitty win is better than a shitty loss, I guess. Uh, so uh, it just really, really left a terrible taste in fans' mouths to cap off, which what was just not a, a very good card. I mean, it, it took an average card down another notch, I think is the problem. 
uh, making people and people are going to look back at it as uh, a, a very bad event, mainly because of this main event. Uh, Matt, you, your thoughts on Frank Mir's performance here? Yeah, I, I going in, I, I kept picking Crow Cop out of principle because I, I kept saying I'm not falling for uh, you know thinking Frank Mears has solved his problems anymore, and I'm, I'm not going to pick him anymore. Um, but I can't imagine what what he would have done if he was facing an interested, competent heavyweight in this fight. Um, Krokop did nothing. Yeah, I mean, and it took Frank Mir 14 minutes just basically to engage with him. Uh, he pressed him up against the gauge a few times, but uh, that was about it. So I don't really know, um, you know, what what would have happened if Frank Mir was was against a fellow actual top 10 heavyweight in this fight as opposed to a disinterested crow cop. But, uh, I mean, maybe it's chalk it up to fighting down to your competition. I don't know. But hopefully for Frank Mir's sake, he, he comes out, uh, you know, guns blazing next time out or he's going to get laid out again. Sean, what were you thinking uh, watching that main event on Saturday? I wasn't thinking much of anything. I was just trying not to fall asleep. Um, but it was, <laughs> it, was just, it was just a miserable fight. I mean, uh, Mir, you know, the, the problem with Mir is he he doesn't really have much of a uh, much of a striking game, despite what he thinks, and uh, he doesn't have good takedowns. So, uh, you know, up against a guy like Krokov, who does have pretty stout takedown defense, um, but doesn't you know but doesn't engage, you know, there, there's really no possibility for action. You know, in Krokov's um, prime, he he destroys Frank Mir, you know. Um, Amir, uh, the, the way he gets the fight to the ground is capitalized on, on bad positions by his opponent. And, you know, just to see uh, what would have happened with a, um, with a fellow top ten opponent, just look at a Shane Carwin fight or the Brock Lesnar fight. I mean, that's, that's, what, um, that's what seems to happen with Frank Mir in big fights. You know, yeah, he beat no gear. Um, but, you know, which is kind of why I wanted to see this one a little bit uh, with no with or a big nothing to see uh, if he was going to be able to Still use the staff infection, uh, staff infection excuse, uh, but you know Krokop was was making excuses before the fight even started. You know before he, before even the eye injury. You know he's he's pretty um, pretty notorious for for making excuses after fights. Uh, but you knew you knew when he was talking beforehand about why he might not win that he just wasn't going to be doing anything. So I mean yeah it, it was it was a bad fight, um, but uh, to expect anything less. With the, with these two, with, with the history of these two guys, you know the, the recent history of Kokop, um, you know would have been kind of naive. Yeah, and, and I just I just don't know what you do with Krokop now. I mean, he, he's saying that he has two fights left. I, I, he finished his last contract with the Pat Barry fight, uh, signed a new one to take this fight. He had contemplated retirement after the Barry fight, as he has after seemingly every fight he's had over the last two years. Um, and now he's saying, you know, I have two fights left on my contract, and knowing me, I'm going to take both of them uh, in 2011. I don't know that I want to see Krokop in the cage if he's going to come out disinterested uh, and not anywhere near the fighter he used to be. He, he doesn't look like he, want, he has any desire to be in the cage. Uh, I mean, the Pat Berry fight was kind of an anomaly because, uh, you know, Berry did knock him down twice. Uh, before breaking his hand and his foot and completely taking away his weapons in that fight, which led to Krokop having a, a better performance um, earlier this year. So, 
I, I mean, I don't know how much stock to put into anything Crook Cup's done in the last year. And right now, uh, after that fight with Mir, I, I don't know that I want to see him back in the cage again. Uh, Sean, do you, do you see any interest in any opponent right now for Crow Cup in 2011? No. I, I don't. I don't see. I don't want to see him fight again. You know, at this point, it's just sad for me, you know, because I, I watched him in his prime and pride, and, uh, you know, he's not been the same guy in the UFC. I mean, he, even even at the very beginning uh, against Teddy Sanchez, um, He's never been the same, and uh, you know that's that's just not what you want to see. You know, I, I I didn't I didn't enjoy enjoy the Pat Barry fight. You know, I thought the Pat Barry fight was awful, uh, just because you know Barry could have finished him a couple of times. Um, I don't know whether his emotions got the better of him or you know didn't want to finish his his idol or whatever it was, but uh, it was just it was just terrible. And you know, seeing seeing those pictures of Barry after the fight where his his uh, fist and his leg were swollen up to the size of watermelons, you know. It was pretty telling uh, how much it took for Krokov to be able to win that fight with that that sorry rear naked choke. But uh, yeah, I, I don't want to see I don't want to see Krokov again. I, and the problem is they're paying him enough that he's going to have to be on a main card. Um, and I just don't know how you sell one of his fights. Matt, uh, any desire to see Krokov in 2011? No, not really. Uh, I mean, if he was contemplating retirement after the the, the Pat Barry fight, which he won. Uh, I, I don't understand how he doesn't see this as uh, concrete proof that he needs to retire. Um, I mean, maybe it was a, a big contract he signed, and um, you know he's, he's going to get a big paycheck for this being, I believe, his first pay-per-view main event with the UFC. Um, so the the checks are nice. So maybe that's what's motivating him at this point. But that's never a good thing in fighting when that's your motivation. Um, but I, I just like like Sean said, who who do you sell? Uh, a Crow Cop fight against at this point. I mean, there's names out there. Um, there's Randy Couture. There's another fight with Antonio Rodrigo Noguera. Um, things like that, fights that we were thinking we'd see at some point in the UFC once they once he came over anyway. Um, but as far as the actual fight, I mean, I don't I don't want to see Crow Cop fight again. He's seemed disinterested in every single one of his UFC fights. Uh, the only time we saw any kind of killer instinct from him was after he poked Mustafa Al Turk in the eye, um, and that was it. I mean, he's uh, he basically told the crowd beforehand, just so you guys know, I'm gonna suck. So enjoy my walkout because that's the best memory I'm giving you guys at uh, you know at, at UFC 119, and that's exactly all all we got. And so now. Where's Mir left in this situation? Because now he, he looks like the proverbial gatekeeper, uh, you know, knocked out cold by Shane Carwin after getting battered to all hell by Brock Lesnar, uh, yet he destroyed Czech Congo in the interim there. Uh, you know, he's still capable of pulling off good performances, uh, but he's also capable of getting his ass kicked against the right guy. Uh, I mean, there, there's a couple of fights that I'd, I'd be interested in seeing. Um Roy Nelson is is definitely a fight that I think would be interesting to see. I, I think a lot of um, anti Frank Mir MMA fans would be up for a rematch with Shane Carwin, just so they could hope to see the same result. Uh, but other than that, maybe the Gabriel Gonzaga Brendan Shaw winner from UFC 121. Um, I, mean, I mean, there's there's some names out there, but again, not not a whole lot for, for Mir at this point either. Um, and, and he's going to have to be second or third fight on a card because after that performance, they're not putting him anywhere near a main event uh, anytime soon. 
Matt, what would you like to see uh, uh, from Frank Mir next, if anything, and what do you think they'll do? With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, I think any of those options are fine. We were talking about the the Mir-Nelson fight a while ago as a possibility. Um, uh, and I'm with you with the, the Brendan Schaub, Gabriel and the Gonzaga winner. Either, you know, whoever wins that fight, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Frank Mir. Uh, if it's Brendan Schaub, then Mir gets to fulfill his, his gatekeeper role in the heavyweight division. If it's Gabriel and Gonzaga, it's at least an intriguing matchup of guys around the same level that we haven't seen yet. And I'd be interested to see where that fight plays out uh, inside the cage, just uh, going by both guys' skill sets and, and where they'd want it and how could they, uh, you know, get it there. Um, as far as what do I think they'll do, uh, I think Roy Nelson probably makes the most sense. Um, you know, he's he's got a little momentum, you know, coming off a loss, but hanging tough with Junior Dos Santos, which is something that nobody has been able to do in the UFC. Uh, went three full rounds and, and proved he could take a beating. Um, so I think as far as, you know, where where they stand in the division, that's probably the right matchup for Frank Mir next. Sean, how about you? Yeah, I'm with you guys. I mean, it's it's pretty much been shown at this point that he doesn't belong up there with Lesnar and Velasquez and Dos Santos and Carwin. Um, but, you know, I think a gatekeeper role is fine for Frank Mir, you know. Uh, he he can be in good fights with the right kind of fighter, um, you know, but it's, it's, it's a tough thing with Frank Mir because, you know, I've, I've been critical of him in the past for his gas tank and all this kind of stuff. It looks like he has improved that. Um, and he's always very... Uh, he, he, he always knows what he did wrong after every fight. But the thing is with Mir is he never seems to actually improve it, um, which is kind of a strange thing, you know, because he'll, he'll say, you know, this is what I did and this is what I need to do, and then he'll come out the next fight and, uh, and you know, lay in half guard again and get smashed. So it's, it's kind of a weird thing with Mir. But, but yeah, definitely a fight with Nelson would be, would be fun. Uh, or I, I'd, I'd love to see him fight uh, Gonzaga. You know, I'm a big Gonzaga fan, even though he chokes in big fights as well. But uh, I'd, like, I'd like to see either of those fights, really. That brings us to our co-main event of the evening, Antonio Hogerio Noguera taking on Ryan Bader. Uh, this was, you know, Bader's first real big test. I mean, the Keith Jardine win at the time looked really, really good, uh, with Jardine um, losing a couple more fights, including the Trevor Prangley fight in Shark Fights earlier this month. Uh, you know, it's, it's looking a, a little less um, impressive on his resume, and that's a fight that Keith Jardine was, was hanging in pretty even with him until the knockout in the third. Um, little nod coming off the uh, almost exposure fight against Jason Brills uh, at UFC 114. 
and this was a, a major, major fight for the light heavyweight division. The winner of this fight uh, was talked about beforehand as getting Johnny uh, Bones Jones next, and uh, if it was going to be Bader, it was going to be two of the hottest light heavyweight prospects uh, coming in for the UFC in, in the light heavyweight division. Uh, Bader, despite winning a, a unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board, which I did not agree with. I, I personally scored it for Noguera because Bader, I didn't see Bader doing a whole lot in either the second or third round. Uh, I mean, Noguera wasn't doing a whole ton himself either. Uh, this is one of those fights where any number of scores probably would have been correct, uh, but I thought Noguera at least won one of those uh, last two rounds. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it wasn't as if he did anything um, convincingly enough to uh, demand that he, that he take one of those rounds. But uh, I think Bader comes out of this not looking like as strong of a prospect despite getting a win over Little Dog. Uh, and I, I think a, a lot of people will uh, see a fight with John Jones, and, and, and I, I'm in this camp where I think John Jones has a lot of tools to beat Ryan Bader with, and Bader does not have those tools to beat uh, John Jones with at this point uh, coming off of this victory. Sean, what, what do you think about Ryan Bader, this fight in general, uh, and, and how he matches up with John Jones? Uh, you know, quite honestly, had I known I was going to be on a call, uh, I probably would have tried to remember something about this fight, but as it is, I have no recollection of it whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I, I remember um, thinking Bader probably won the fight via control, but that's pretty much it. Uh, but, you know, watching that fight, John Jones destroys either of those guys, quite honestly. Um, I just don't see – I don't see a lot of guys in, in light heavyweight that match, they're going to match up uh, well with John Jones and be able to counter what he's going to be able to do um, with his mix of speed and power. I just don't see – and, you know, and, and technique and, you know, instinct. It's just a matter of John Jones being a natural – and everybody else trying to play catch-up at this point. Um, you know, Ryan Bader has got a future ahead of him, you know, a good future. But at this point, you know, he's going to be – he's going to take a little while to work his way up to that level. Um, and, you know, not to say that John Jones is an elite fighter right now, but uh, he's definitely on his way um, to that status. I, I think uh, Bader, you know, he's a, solid, he's a solid fighter. He's got some decent power. But he doesn't have doesn't have the kind of technique that's going to catch a lot of guys by surprise. You know, Keith Jardine has been knocked out by a left hook about four thousand times at this point, and uh, you know he he was able to do that as well. Um, and uh, you know that's there's something to be said for that. Yes, he does possess knockout power. Yes, he does have good wrestling. But uh, you know to be able to get into that upper echelon, you know your uh, Leota Machida and your Rampage Jackson and uh, your Shogun and those guys. Um, you're, you're going to have to be more than a one or two trick guy, and I don't, I don't think Ryan Bader is quite at that level just yet. Um, you know, if he continues to work and continues to uh, develop his technique, especially his striking technique, um, then then he's got a he's got a shot at that. But at this at this point, you know, I think a fight with John Jones would probably be good for him just so we could learn, uh, you know, where where his weaknesses are. Um, I think he probably is one of those guys that needs a loss to kind of uh, make him regroup and and take a look at what he's doing. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm good with a fight against against John Jones. Actually, for both guys, because uh, I think it would it would uh, showcase John Jones. Um, but at, that, yeah. at this point, I, I think that's where he is. Yeah, and uh, you know we're we're kind of 
getting set up perfectly here for something that uh, our UK specialist, Chris Park, uh, laid out after John Jones beat Vladimir Matyushenko. You know, take on the winner of Little Nog Bader if he gets past them. Take on the winner of Quentin Jackson, Leota Machida if he gets past that uh, that guy. You know, title shot for John Jones uh, at a really young age because he's that special of a fighter right now, and he, he showcased that. And, you know, if he gets past Bader and what I would say is most likely Leota Machida, um, he, he will have more than earned his, his, his chance at uh, either Shogun or Rashad, whoever comes out of that fight next year. So I, I think it's setting up nicely for John Jones to do something special here at a young age uh, very soon. But uh, I, I'm with you. I don't, I, just, I don't think Bader at this point in time is well-rounded enough uh, to, to handle the game of John Jones. And his big fallback, his big uh, tool in his toolbox is his wrestling, uh, his ground-and-pound game. He's not going to keep John Jones on his back for three rounds. He's not going to take him down multiple times just based on some of the takedown attempts he had against Nog in that fight. Uh, I, I, I don't see Ryan Bader having very much uh, to offer against John Jones at this point in time. Uh, again, not, not to say that John Jones is... Uh, should be crowned the champion right now because he's still clearly got work to do. He's still clearly got uh, a long career ahead of him as well. It's very early in, uh, in in his career. But he's still an extremely and immensely special fighter uh, that has proven himself against some very tough, very experienced competition over the last two years in the UFC. Uh, Matt, your thoughts on, on Bader's performance and uh, that matchup with, with Jones? I think... Uh... You know, going forward, the the name on his resume, you know, a win over uh, Hogerio Nogueira is, is going to be more impressive than the fight we actually saw the other night. I'm kind of like Sean. Uh, I mean, I watched the fight. I remember it happening. I, I was sober, yet it just didn't leave much of an impression on me other than it, Ryan Bader did what I thought he would do, which is squeak, a, squeak by a decision by being able to control Nogueira on the ground. Um one thing that Ryan Bader does do really well is control people when he gets them down to the ground. Uh, he doesn't do a ton of damage, but he does have those heavy hands. His game basically consists of, you know, double leg control on the ground and throw big overhand rights. Um, and I guess maybe that's at least uh, something to, to show us a little more about John Jones' game. Um, but as opposed to, you know, coming off the biggest win of his career, instead of us hyping up this fight as, as uh, two super prospects in the light heavyweight division it just seems like ryan bader is going to go into that fight as the next sacrificial lamb for for john jones um i would assume it will be a little bit tougher for john jones to ragdoll ryan bader like he has his last three opponents but it's not to say he can't do it um matt hamill's a pretty good wrestler and uh, john jones had his way with him you know despite that technically being a loss i mean he destroyed matt hamill and uh, maybe we'll see if, if John Jones can take a punch, if, if Ryan Bader, you know, if he decides to stand with Ryan Bader, um, if Bader can get inside and, and land a big punch, we'll see what kind of chin John Jones has. But aside from that, this this seems like even more of a clear-cut win for John Jones than it did before Ryan Bader scored a victory over uh, Rogerio Nogueira. Agreed. Uh, just some quick thoughts on Little Nog here and where he goes from here, because, you know, he, he came into the UFC and knocked out Louise Kane in highly impressive fashion and had uh, a, a lot of hype and accolades uh, 
uh, raining down on him heading into UFC 114. He was supposed to face Forrest Griffin on that event. Um, and, and, you know, with the Brills and Bader fights now, he just hasn't looked great. Uh, he he sn- snuck out a win against, uh, against Brills, but failed to do so against Bader. Uh, and what's, what does the UFC do with him now? Because he's still a, a superbly capable fighter and, and still a talented fighter, but that, that aura is gone after the, that, that he gained from that Kane knockout in, in his debut. And it, it's just, I, I don't know that people are going to be excited to see him uh, fight again either after this event. Uh, Matt, quick thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's he's got the name value, so there's there's any number of matchups you could put him in. Um, you know, Rich Franklin when he he gets healed up would be fine. Uh, you know, Chuck Liddell if they want to throw him out there for one more fight. Um, Tito Ortiz, you know, there's there's lots of names like that that are uh, fights that wouldn't be terribly relevant, but uh, one of those you know at least neither guy's going to get hurt type of fights. Um, but one thing I would wouldn't mind seeing is if Jason Brills is able to get past Vladimir Matyushenko in their upcoming fight. I would love to see Jason Brills get a chance to uh, avenge that loss, which most people thought was rightfully a win for him. Um, and I think he deserves that chance. He he I thought outfought a supposedly much better opponent, but because it went down as a loss, you know he kind of goes back down the ladder instead of that being a career-defining victory for him. So if he can get past Vladimir Matyushenko, I would like to see him get another crack at Little Nob. Uh, Sean, any quick thoughts on Little Nog here after this fight? Yeah, I thought a pretty good fight for him might be the uh, the winner of Ortiz Hamill. Um, you know, at, at this point, he needs a, he needs a couple fights to get back. You know, to build himself back up. Or you know, I would say either that or uh, or taking um, Force Griffin when when Griffin uh, finishes his recovery. I'm still I'm still interested in that fight just to see where both guys are in relation to each other. Yeah, uh, I, I I agree. I still, I mean, with with Forrest coming off of a, a lengthy layoff uh, when he returns, whenever that will be. I mean, the the late year cards are starting to fill up pretty quickly. Uh, my guess is he'll likely return in Montreal uh, on that 124 card, um, just because Detroit's kind of filled up unless they put him uh, on the New Year's Day card. Uh, in Las Vegas, so uh, we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, Little Nog didn't take much damage, so that would be a fight that they could still put together that they wanted to see in May, so I I agree with that. Uh, You're listening into the MMA Torch Livecast Tuesday Conversation. If you'd like to get into the conversation today, call 646-716-8090. Press 1 to indicate you want to talk. We'll try to get you uh, uh, on the show throughout. We're talking UFC 119 right now. You can also join us in the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash MMA Torch. We're here every Tuesday from 9 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you can also follow us on the web throughout the week at MMATorch.com as well as on your iPhone app or uh, Android phone app. Uh, and you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook, Twitter.com slash MMA Torch, Facebook.com slash MMA Torch. Now, this show did have one redeeming light from a fight standpoint, but because of the way the decision went down, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of marred it for a lot of people. Uh, you know, I, I have to say, full disclosure, I did score the fight for Sean Shirk live. Uh, it, it, when, when I was watching it, it, you know, with a couple of takedowns in the second round, and then it appeared to me that he was uh, getting the better of some of the exchanges when they were in close. Uh, he, was, he was landing his, his uh, hooks pretty well when Dunham was getting in close. 
Uh, Dunham was not judging the distance correctly in the second round, in my opinion, and it allowed Shirk's uh, T-Rex arms to reach him. Um, but it's it's one of those fights where for Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Seven and a half minutes or so, Shirk was doing enough to win the fight. Maybe eight minutes. Um, and then Dunham turned it on and beat the hell out of him, especially in the last uh, four and a half minutes in the, in the third round. Uh, Dunham put on a great performance in the, the, the latter half of the second uh, second round and then in the third round as well. And, you know, comes out of the loss looking like an absolute beast in the lightweight division. Uh, Shirk has said he thinks Dunham's a future champion. I think Dunham showed a lot of people that he's, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the lightweight division. Uh, but, you know, Sean Shirk, despite the way the decision came down and the fact that people were booing him and everything, uh, he deserves credit. 16 months out of action, and he came in against a really, really talented young gun in Evan Dunham and uh, gave him everything he could handle and took everything that Dunham uh, threw at him. He, he, he ate some vicious knees and punches against the cage in that third round uh, and would not go out. So, uh, well, the decision does not sit well with a lot of people. Uh, you know, this was still one of the better fights we've seen all year. Sean Shirk came back and looked very good for the first half of the fight. Uh, looked like he, he belongs in the top end of the lightweight division still. Uh, I mean, whether you want to consider this a loss for him or not, because he picked up the split decision win, uh, he still has only been defeated by uh, two of the greatest welterweights in the world, the greatest lightweight of all time, and the current champion. So, uh, I mean, Sean Shirk is, is still the real deal. And Evan Dunham, he's got a special future ahead of him as well. Uh, now, Matt, I know you texted me during the fight, and you hated the decision. Uh, but talk about this fight as a whole and, and, and uh, what you think about both fighters now after the event. Uh, see, you know, the gradual progression uh, from Sean Shirk, I thought, I thought the first round was actually a fairly close uh, close round. I, I thought Shirk, you know, he got the takedown, he, he opened him up with an elbow, but really didn't do much damage in that round other than that, whereas... Shirk had, or excuse me, Dunham had some really tight uh, submission attempts that I thought, um, you know, pretty much evened up the round. I could certainly understand uh, giving Shirk that first round, but I thought the second round was was comfortably for Dunham, and I thought the the third round was a dominant round by Evan Dunham. Um, I thought this was the best we've seen Evan Dunham look, even better than watching him uh, control uh, Tyson Griffin's back for for 15 minutes, um, better than him you know, almost ripping off Efren Escudero's arm. 
Uh, I think Evan Dunham is the real deal, and I think he's uh, one of one of the more underrated prospects in the UFC right now. You know, we go crazy for guys like John Jones and are trying to shoot them up to, to title fights before they really accomplish uh, a whole lot. But Evan Dunham has, has gone toe-to-toe with a couple of the toughest guys in the lightweight division. I'm not saying, you know, after a loss, let's shoot him into a title shot, but uh, I think you've, after that performance, he, he seems like he's ready for anybody at 155 to me. So why not throw him in there against, you know, Kenny Florian as the next time out? They're both coming off a loss. It, the fight makes sense. Uh, Kenny Florian, you know, doesn't have anybody to, to fight with right now. Um, you know, if you, if you want to cool off the, the Evan Dunham hype train a little bit, then uh, a fight with Kurt, Kel, excuse me, Kurt Pellegrino would probably make a lot of sense, also coming off a loss. Um, but this this fight reminds me a little bit of the Noguera Brills fight, uh, whereas the, the bigger-name fighter, uh, was given a, a suspect decision. Now, let's see if the UFC can capitalize on it. It, it almost comes off as like a, a win-win uh, to me for the UFC because Shirk technically gets a win, so he could be put in a, a more prominent role his next time out. And, and I'd love to see him fight Melvin Gillard, who is also victorious on this card. Uh, so that's a fresh matchup and an intriguing one. Um, but, you know, Evan Dunham certainly still has momentum coming out of this too, so... I think they need to they need to turn around and, and capitalize on on both guys' uh, momentum coming out of this fight. Uh, Sean, your thoughts on this fight? Yeah, I was really high on this fight for a couple of reasons. Um, I, I, I did I have, would have to come on uh, Matt's side of the for the decision. I thought the decision was awful, but uh, at the same time, uh, I was really happy to see Sean Church use his wrestling again uh, because in his last few fights he tried to be a boxer. And, you know, Sean Shirk has good head movement and good footwork, and, well, decent footwork, and, you know, throws some nice punches and whatnot. But as you said, he has T-Rex arms. He's not going to be able to reach anyone. And, you know, especially a guy like Evan Dunham, I don't think he was able to cause a lot of damage on Dunham um, when they did get into the exchange. Uh, but, you know, when he used his wrestling, that was where he was most effective. That's where he was able to open up Dunham with the elbow in the first round. Um, and... Uh, you know, so that was that was really refreshing for me to see him actually use go back to his strength and not try to uh, to be a kickboxer, which he just isn't, uh, and that's okay. Um, but man, Evan Dunham, I mean, even in a loss, the guy the guy looks spectacular. I mean, if you consider these things, Sean Shirk before this fight had never had his back taken, and Evan Dunham took it a few times. Um, Sean Shirk has no neck, and Evan Dunham almost choked him out a couple of times. I mean, this. You imagine, you look at Sean Shirk, how are you going to choke that guy out, seriously? Uh, and and Dun- Dunham almost did it a few times. I mean, those, those chokes were tight. Um, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm extremely high on Evan Dunham. I think he's, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for this guy, and he's going he's gonna to really make some noise in his next few fights. I think the, um, you know, between Shirk, I think the Shirk-Gallard fight is a great idea, um, or even, even Dunham-Gallard would, would make sense. Uh, but you could look at the loser of Lozon Sotaropoulos. I think Lozon Sotaropoulos is supposed to be Eliminator, um, if I remember correctly. Uh, so maybe the loser of that fight takes on one of these two. I, I, I really see them pretty much at the same level at this point um, after this fight. So, you know, really good fight. I mean, far and away the best fight, uh, the best fight on the card um, and really the most significant fight as far as uh, standings in the, in the division. Yeah, uh, the other two fights here on the main card, we had Melvin Gillard picking up uh, another split decision that was debatable, um, although, I, 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 again, I, it's, 
both of the split decisions on this main card, I, I scored for the guy that won, but completely understand arguments for giving the other guy the the fight. Jeremy Stevens, you know, didn't lose three rounds to one or three rounds to none, like one judge scored it, but he didn't really do much to win the fight himself either. Uh, neither fighter was kind of pressing. It was more of a more of a dance fight in this one, popping in and out, circling around. Gillard was avoiding damage. Um, even, I mean, and when Gillard came in, he was landing punches. Uh, the other fight, which in retrospect, I, I, I kind of start leaning towards uh, Rich's thoughts on the fight, but uh, watching it live, Matt Sarah and Chris Weidel, I, I was having fun watching it on TV um, and enjoyed it, but we also had a group full of people uh, here and, and it getting slightly distracted watching it, so I wasn't completely bogged down in uh, the, the sloppiness and uh, complete nonsensical way Matt Sarah refused to even attempt to bring this fight to the ground. Um, I, I mean, Sarah had no business standing up with Chris Lytle for three rounds, and he got his face badly damaged because of it. Uh, and Lytle picks up the win, does not get any bonus this time around, uh, and Gallard picks up the win as well. Uh, quick thoughts on the uh, the other two fights on this pay-per-view card before we get to the, the prelims, uh, Sean. Uh, they were fine, you know. Um, Lytle Sarah, um, it was kind of it's kind of fun to watch that one in, the, you know, uh, where we were watching it with the him being a local guy and he got some, uh, you know, a good reaction from the crowd there. Uh, you know, but like you said, they they had Matt Sarah had no business standing with with Lytle. You know, he hits hard, but uh, has nothing nothing on technique um, against Lytle. And uh, you know, I was. As, as a person who enjoys um, watching fights, I was glad they didn't go back to the ground because, man, that their first fight was just a cure for insomnia. I mean, that was terrible. But uh, I, was, I was glad they kept it standing on that level. But at the same time, I mean, these two, um, you know, <laughs> neither of them were – it just wasn't going to – it wasn't going to end in a stoppage and it wasn't going to be pretty. So, um, you know, it was fine for what it was. Um Stevens Gillard, uh, I remember watching that one and, and having no clue whatsoever who had won that fight, which is not necessarily a bad thing, you know, since I'm not a judge. But uh, I was fine with the with the decision on that one. I think uh, Gillard. I mean, it, it is kind of frustrating watching Gillard after seeing him um, earlier. You know, he he was really explosive, and he's not. He just doesn't have that same explosion anymore, um, which is which is frustrating because I think a fight with him and Jeremy Stevens, you know. Gillard's got a, got a decent chin, and uh, I think he could have stood in there with, with Stevens and, uh, and slugged it out. Of course, Stevens also got a really stout chin as well. But that's why it's, that's why these fights are fun, you know, to watch those guys go at it. And, uh, you know, what we ended up with was uh, a lot of dancing, which, you know, technique-wise is fine, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a little disappointing. Matt, what did you think of these two fights? Uh, I thought the Stevens-Gillard fight was also slightly disappointing. Um, it almost feels like Melvin Gillard is trying to use the the tools and the natural athletic gifts that he has and, and become like the Floyd Mayweather of, of MMA. Um, you know, he's he's quicker, he's faster than than most everybody, so he can just predicate his game now on not getting hit and and outscoring people. The advice he's getting from Greg Jackson, and, and honestly, it's the the smartest way for him to fight. It's just not the way that. We, you know, we're used to him fighting, and the reason that, you know, we like watching Melvin Gillard fight. Um, 
he's not been a very exciting fighter in his last few, but he's been victorious, so he moves up the card, and, and in, you know, in the end, it's all about winning fights. Um, as far as the uh, Lytle Sarah fight, I, I was fine with this. It was exactly what I was expecting that we were going to get. I didn't think we were going to see a, a well-rounded fight where, you know, it, we see every single position and, and um, you know, every single strike in the book. It was going to be a, a sloppy boxing slugfest, and, and that's what we got. I know Rich, you know, was upset about them, you know, more or less making a gentleman's agreement to, to stand and, and trade in, in an effort to, you know, please the fans and win fight of the night. Um I'm more so okay with things like that happening for that reason, especially when they're on uh, the undercard and not the the main event or co-main event. Um, It's it's things like what Frank Mir and Krokop did, where they basically agreed to not hurt each other. Um, That screws over the fans. You know, if you're going to make an agreement to to stand and and trade punches, that at least is something that usually uh, is is pleasing on the eyes for fans to watch. and you're doing it in an effort to pick up bonus money. So uh, everybody wins in that scenario. But, uh, you know, when when you're saying, hey, let's just have a sparring match because I don't want to get hurt and, you know, everybody's already paid their money and we're going to get paid anyway, um, that's the kind of agreements that I don't want to see in MMA. Uh, now we get to the Spike TV preliminary card. The hour-long prelims aired on Spike. Um the Matt Mitrione, Joey Beltran, and C.B. Dalloway, Joe Dirksen fights aired live. We also got two of the other preliminary card fights, both ending in submission. Uh, Sean McCorkle over Mark Hunt and Thiago Tavares over Pat Oddenwood. Um, and in what is not always the case, the hour-long prelims were uh, pretty much the most entertaining part of the night. Uh, the hour was full of action. Um, some really nice submissions, a very interesting one. With McCorkle over Hunt, you don't typically see a a fight ended with a straight arm lock like that, Uh, and McCorkle basically busted Hunt's elbow up, uh, pulled it out of the socket with that one. Uh, And Tiago Tavares had a very impressive submission over Pat Oddenwood, who looked like he was in a completely different weight class. Uh, Oddenwood is the fighter with the nickname Awesomely Awesome, and was looking decent, but Tavares just had one of his most impressive performances in the UFC in this one, and I'm glad we got to see it as well. Uh, but, uh, I mean, what can you say about C.B. Dalloway? He, he, he's almost an impossible fighter to get behind and to really uh, like, and yet he continually improves, and he's had impressive performance after impressive performance. I mean, since losing to Amir Sadala twice by the same submission... Uh, to lose the Ultimate Fighter Season 7. Uh, he's just he, he was choked out by Tom Lawler at UFC 100, and he's won, uh, what, four or five other fights. Uh, his his guillotine choke on Dirksen with the, the double gator roll with it, uh, you know, it was beautiful, beautiful stuff from C.B. Dalloway. Extremely patient when he had the guillotine uh, initially, and then when he had an opening, he tightened it up uh, and, and held on to the choke, and uh, you know, I came away most impressed, I think, with C.B. Dalloway outside of uh, what Evan Dunham did uh, against Sean Shirk in that fight. I think C.B. Dalloway had the breakout performance on this card. Uh, it, it got kind of lost in the shuffle because of the crappy main card, but, um, you know, C.B. Dalloway's uh, performance here can't be overlooked because it was quite impressive, and he continues to improve. Uh, Matt, your thoughts on the uh, Spike TV prelims? 
Yeah, what, what, where was the disconnect between the prelims and the pay-per-view? Um, it was like two completely different shows. Um, you know, between the three first-round submissions we got to see and even the, the Mitrione-Joey Beltran fight, you know, sloppy as it was, it was basically... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, a supersized version of the um, Korean zombie Leonard Garcia fight from earlier, but, you know, with a uh, tenth as many punches because they weigh 240, 250 pounds, and it's hard to throw that many punches, but... Um, you know, it was a much more entertaining hour than the three hours that we watched and had to pay forty four ninety five for. Um, but you're right, CB Dalloway, this is definitely his hour. Um, I, I wasn't shocked and, and wouldn't have been shocked in any way to see CB Dalloway beat Joe Dirksen, but guillotining him in the first round with a, a beautiful submission like that was not what I expected to see. Um, and, and he stuck to it, and he, he kept rolling through until he had it cinched in, and there was no way for Dirksen to go. Um, that was, you know, certainly thought to be his, his big weakness. He got submitted twice by Amir. He got choked out by Tom Lawler at UFC 100. So, uh, nice, nice win for CB Dalloway. And, uh, you know, if he's shoring up some holes in his game on the ground, then he can still be a force at 185. He's got, he's got really good wrestling. He, he trains at a good camp. Um, so, you know, I won't say sky's the limit because that might be, you know, putting, you know, a little too, too much expectations on him, but he can certainly be a, a really solid fighter at 185. Uh, Sean, your thoughts on the hour-long prelims? Yeah, that was a little fantastic. Um, really impressive, and this was a this was a good job by Joe Rogan too, pointing out uh, you know what what Dalloway was doing with you know being patient with the first position that he was in, um, you know, and being able to hold on to that until Dirksen made a mistake and he was able to capitalize on it. And the uh, the way he finished it was just was just really impressive. It looked really good. Um, you know the uh, the Beltran Mitrione fight was was pretty fun as well. You know uh, there's something to be said. Uh, you know it's, it's a good thing it's a good thing that all fights are like that. But there's something to be said for two big dudes in there getting just getting in there and slugging it out. Uh, it was just it was fun. It's fun to watch from from time to time. Um, you know Beltran actually looked a lot better in this fight than he has um, that I remember than I remember him looking uh, in his first two fights in the UFC. Uh, of course, you know ironically this being his first loss. You know he was he. He probably had the most unimpressive win I've ever seen against Hollis Gracie, um, and then to be able to to come in here and, and look impressive against Mitrione was uh, uh, was a lot uh, a lot better. Um, Mitrione, for his part, uh, you know, showed a lot of power and showed an ability to recover. Uh, you know, I think he's obviously got a long way to go before he's you know um, uh, a big player in the heavyweight division. But who would have thought he was going he was going to go three and zero in his first three fights? You know. Um, so that's that's great on him. Tavares needed needed a win, needed to look impressive. Um, 
So, you know, especially coming off of that, uh, that fight with Nick Lentz. I mean, I think anyone coming off a fight with Nick Lentz needs to look impressive in his next fight. Um, so it was a good thing for Tavares to pick that up. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the prelims, uh, like you guys said, were definitely the more entertaining part of the two uh, broadcasts uh, to the detriment of those who paid for uh, the actual pay-per-view. But, um, oh, and uh, McCorkle, you know, it's hard to say how impressive a victory is over Mark Hunt at this point, but to his credit, at least Hunt was, uh, he made the 265 limit, which I don't think anyone would have predicted uh, when he was in pride. Yeah, well, the fact that McCorkle made it down to, to 265 was quite impressive as well. I mean, yeah, very true. Uh, I, very I, true. I, I believe he got the call 12 weeks ago and was around 320, 325 and made it all the way down to 265 and uh, didn't look bad doing it. And, you know, he, he kind of called his shot, too, went for that. He said he was going to finish it by Kimura. Uh, it was basically that, but uh, more of a straight arm bar on that. Uh, so, you know, impressive stuff from him. I, I didn't even say anything about Mitrione, but, I, I mean, you've got to be impressed by the guy, considering he's just had three fights. Uh, I, I, I mean, this was uh, one of those fights where you don't see heavyweights brawling till uh, the end of the third round and not looking completely 100% gassed out. Uh, I mean, there, are, there aren't that many that are able to go 15 minutes and still have a little bit of breath left in them. Uh, Mitrione looked like he, he was one of those, and uh, you know, pulled off another uh, impressive performance against the level of competition he should be facing right now, uh, considering it's it was just the third the third fight of his career. So, you know, he's going to be an entertaining addition uh, to any fight card he's on, and that type of stand and bang when it's guys that don't have skills in in other areas is perfectly acceptable. Whereas you go to the Chris Lytle Matt Sarah fight, and you know the ground capabilities of Matt Sarah uh, as well as Chris Lytle and see them conduct a terrible boxing match, not even a kickboxing match because the kick wasn't thrown until the third round, uh, but uh, just a bad boxing match for three rounds, and, and uh, you get more appreciation for the guys that are, are brawling when that's, that's all they can do. So um, entertaining stuff on the, uh, the preliminary card. Um, but, you know, we move on from UFC 119, get that, bad taste of Frank Mir, Mirko Krokop out of our mouths, and while people have been down on UFC 120 uh, next month, it, there's no way it's as bad as UFC 119, and there's some really, really good matchups on this card, and it's free on Spike TV here in the U.S., uh, so there's, there's tons and tons of stuff to look forward to in the UFC in October, or should I say the month of Brocktober, as Spike TV has dubbed it heading into UFC 121 the week after 120. Uh, that one in Anaheim, Brock Lesnar, Cain Velasquez. I mean, the month of October for the UFC is huge. Uh, and while people have been uh, doom and gloom about the UFC in the days following 119 and fully expecting that to be a very poor event and, and everything going on with that, uh, the prospects are still quite bright for the UFC to have a very big end of the year uh, I think things are going to hit a big uptick with the Brock Lesnar fight. Uh, they're going to. I, I really think 123 in, in November is going to be stronger than people will expect it to be, uh, with the strength of BJ Penn, Matt Hughes, and then Rampage back in action against Leota Machida. Uh, I mean, expectations will be low buy rate wise because it's no title fight, uh, but I think it's going to end up doing better than what people will think it will do. 
And then I think 124 is going to be massive coming off of the Ultimate Fighter with George St. Pierre back in action in Montreal. So uh, I think prospects are looking pretty good for the UFC for the rest of the year. Uh, Matt, what, what are you uh, looking forward to most here uh, of the major events the UFC has before the year's out? Well, 121, obviously, with, with Brock Lesnar, Cain Velasquez, and, you know, Jake Shields' debut against Martin Kampman. Um, but I think, you know, the uh, Machida, Jackson, and Hughes-Penn um, two-fight combo is, is just every bit as good, so certainly those two. Um, I, I'm, like you said, I'm really just excited to get the, the taste of 119 out of my mouth, um, especially with WEC, thank God for WEC coming up in a couple of days. Um, that'll certainly help. But um, 120, you know, on paper is a fairly similar card. Um, you know, the the names aren't as big in the main event, but the fight should certainly be better. Um, and, and fights like uh, Condit, Hardy, and, and Hathaway Pyle, um, at least, you know, we're pretty much guaranteed that those are going to be um, good fights, if not great fights. So, um I'm not down on, on 120. Uh, I know a lot of the people that live in the UK are just because they want bigger cards to go to because that's what they were promised. But I'm just glad it's it's free because even if it sucks, at least I didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> uh, Sean, what do you think of the, the lineup the UFC has the rest of the year? You know, I, I think it's really strong. I, I love UFC 120. I think it looks like a great card. I mean, uh, as far as the spike card goes, uh, it's fantastic. You know, I think the the John Hathaway Mike Pyle fight um, is a sleeper for uh, for the best fight on there, and uh, you know we'll be able to see what um, uh, what Travis Brown has, what Claude Patrick has. These two guys, you know, that are uh, kind of prospects on the main card. I, I like that. I think that's great. Uh, you know, and, and if we get some early finishes, you got Cyril Diabate on the undercard. Uh, you know, you got Spencer Fisher on the undercard. I think, this is, you know, it's it's a really solid, solid card. And kind of hardy, you know, on paper is just fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm actually really excited for that card. I think it's going to be really good. Uh, and I think it's going to blow 119 out of the water. Um, you know, that that's a card that I would have gone to had, had that been the card in Indianapolis. But, uh, you know, I think it looks great. You know, 121 obviously is going to be enormous. Um, you know, they're they're building it up already, which is great. Um you know, the Camden Shields fight is, is phenomenal. Um, Matt Hamilton to Ortiz, I think they'll I think Ortiz will be able to sell that fight pretty well. Neo Sanchez Paulo Tiago even is a is a really good fight. Um I think uh you know it could be a coming out party for Tiago, um if he hasn't already had his coming out party. You know, he just continues to put on solid performances and it'll be interesting to see what he can do against Sanchez. And you gotta wonder what what this is gonna mean for Diego if he loses it. So, um, you know, another intriguing fight there. Um even 122, you know, you got uh, you got Yushino Kami and Marquardt, which is a good fight. Sozinski um, and Relic. Uh, for me, I want to see what Relic does when he comes back to uh, to light heavyweight. Um, you know, so those are decent fights, and it's another free card, which is great. And then, uh, you know, I think 124 at the end of the year, like uh, like Matt said, is going to be is going to be great too. Um, so I think the, the going towards the end of the year. You know, the fact that they're able to put in some free cards alongside of, you know, the Lesnar card and the St. Pierre card, um, and even even though the, the Rampage Machida card is on pay-per-view, you know, they've got enough names on that card to sell it. Uh, I think they're looking at a pretty good um, a pretty good stretch from now to the end of the year. We have a little bit over 30 minutes remaining in the show today. If you'd like to get in on the conversation, call in to 646 
716-8090, or join in in the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash MMATorch. Uh, Once again, we're here every Tuesday uh, from 9 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, So if you're listening to this uh, on iTunes throughout the week, make sure to tune in on Tuesday and join us live uh, so you can get in the conversation as well. Uh, You can also email any questions for the show to MMATorchEditor at gmail.com. Follow us throughout the week on the web at MMATorch.com as well as uh, on your iPhone or Android app or on Twitter and Facebook, Twitter.com slash MMATorch, Facebook.com slash MMATorch. Before we get through... Uh, the October events and the November events and everything that the UFC has on tap. Uh, The WEC has a massive event two days from now uh, that's kind of getting lost in the shuffle, even though it's the return of uh, featherweight sensation Jose Aldo uh, defending his title against Manny Gamburian off of his uh, victory over Mike Brown at the uh, WEC pay-per-view back in April. Uh, This is... I think one of the single best uh, events that the WEC has put together uh, from, from a fight standpoint, from the action that we're going to see in the cage. Uh, Jose Aldo, Manny Gambirian, obviously as a main event, that's an excellent featherweight title fight. Gambirian, after dropping to featherweight uh, from the UFC's lightweight division, has, has looked tremendous at 145, uh, is, is very much a force uh, at, at that weight class. And, and coming off the knockout over Mike Brown, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's got some tools to, to possibly be the biggest test of Jose Aldo's career to date. Uh, it may not necessarily turn out that way. Jose Aldo could uh, roll through him like he has so many opponents prior, but, uh, I, I mean, it's certainly an interesting fight. Gambirian is certainly a tough fighter and a tough opponent, and I'm very much looking excited, uh, looking forward to that fight. But we've also got the, the grudge match rematch between Jamie Varner and Donald Cerrone, uh, Cerrone overstepping the lines and selling this fight last uh, earlier this month uh, kind of got him. Uh, I, I, I think the gag order came down on him after those comments. But uh, you know, he, he, there's no love lost between these two, and it's a rematch of uh, a fight that was very exciting in 2009 and that people wanted to see a rematch for. Uh, Miguel Torres looking to get back on track against Charlie Valencia. Uh, the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Young, back in action uh, against George Roop. And then Leonard Garcia, Mark Hominick. I don't see any way that this is not one of the best fights of the year. Both guys coming off of excellent, excellent performances. They're always exciting to watch. Um, I mean, I just can't wait for this fight on Thursday, this event on Thursday night. Uh, and I, I think it's going to be one of the best the WEC has put on. It's, it's a strange night to have it on uh considering they normally run Wednesdays or Sundays, uh, occasional Saturdays. I don't know that they've run a Thursday event, but they're going head-to-head with the with Bellator's women's semifinals on Thursday. But I, I think they're going to have more eyes on versus on this one. Uh, at least they should with with uh, a better fight card overall. But, uh, Sean, I want to get your thoughts on, on uh, the, the fight card on Thursday night and, and what you're most looking forward to on that event. Yeah, I think one of the great um, tragedies in MMA is that WEC is so overlooked um, outside of the hardcore base because this card from top to bottom is just tremendous. Uh, you know, the, Jose Aldo has got a resume and a, and a highlight reel to compare with the best fighters in the world. And, you know, how, how big a star would this guy be if he had a bigger stage to be on? I mean, the guy, you know, he knocks everybody out. 
in spectacular fashion, you know, all you've got to do is show, the, is show the fight with Cub Swanson. You know, who lands a double flying knee and knocks a guy out within 10 seconds? It's ridiculous. And then just to show how, how powerful this card is, you've got Mike Brown on the undercard. You've got Tifon Zhang on the undercard, who's like who's a Chinese uh, a Chinese fighter who's looking to make, uh, you know, this is going to be uh, the first big Chinese fighter to come over. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're in fight in the States. You've got Chris Hordesky and Ed Ratliff on the undercard. And those are, those are three fights that you could easily put on the main card of, a, of an event. And, you know, these fights, I mean, uh, Cerrone and Varner could headline a card. Uh, Torres Valencia is, is great. Um, you know, Chen Sung Jung and Leonard Garcia both on the main card. You know, they they should never sniff it on a card again after that last fight they had. Um, so you know, this is this is a can't miss. I mean, there's very few can't miss things in MMA. This is a can't miss card. It's, it's it's spectacular. I mean, I think it blows Bellator's card out of the water. Um, I mean, it it pretty much renders that card irrelevant, even though it's part of a t- uh, tournament. Uh, you know, this WEC card is just fantastic. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on that. Uh, Matt, your thoughts here on, on Thursday's card? Yeah, it, it seems like we're saying this on a regular basis now, but this is uh, one of the best and, and certainly one of the deepest cards on paper. I mean, there's looking all the way down the undercard, you know, the, the fights that um, that Sean didn't even mention, Diego Nunes against Tyler Toner. Um, and, you know, the only way... Uh, Mark Hominick, Leonard Garcia isn't fighting tonight in one of the fights of the year is if it gets completely overshadowed by the awesomeness that will be Demetrius Johnson against Nick Pace, uh, two tiny little 135-pounders that could probably both make 125 uh, if and when they do implement the flyweight division. But, um, you know, Nick Pace has had a – you might remember from the big knockout he had in, in Bellator from season one, he landed a big knee. Uh, Demetrius Johnson, we saw him in a great fight against Brad Pickett last time out. Um, those guys are going to go – full bore for 15 minutes, that is a fight that, uh, unlike, you know, Matt Serra, Chris Lytle, I can guarantee you're going to see all facets of MMA in that fight. Um, just up and down, there's, I mean, literally, I, I would have been fine with uh, the undercard of this this event being a main card on a fight, and I wouldn't have blinked. It would have been fine. Uh, Mike Brown, Chris Hordesky, you know, those kind of fighters on, a, on an undercard of a, of a non-pay-per-view event, um, I think we're getting spoiled by this one, but uh, I'm not complaining. See, I and this remember is, this is somewhere. <laughs> and this is where the frustration comes in with, with Strikeforce right now, because uh, WEC now has their next two events, uh, at, at least the top of the cards, essentially set. And they're massive, massive uh, events, and they've got it already planned out. Uh, with, with Strikeforce, it's, we're, we're, we finally have a headliner for the December card, but um, you know the, the October 9th card is still coming together and everything with that. So it's just it, very last minute with them, whereas WEC 52 for November, already looking like another stacked card. You've got your own favorite, Takei Mitsugaki. Amazing bantamweight fight there. I mean, look, I've really been looking forward to seeing what uh, Uri Faber can do at bantamweight after being so good at featherweight for so long. 
you know, taking this fight with Mitsugaki. This is an excellent main event here. Josh Grisby, I absolutely love watching Josh Grisby fight. Taking on Eric Cook, uh, if he wins that, he's very well right in line uh, for the next shot at the winner of Thursday's Aldo vs. Gambirian fight. Brian Bowles getting back in action for the first time since losing his title in a very good fight against Wagney Fabiano. Uh, Chad Mendez, not necessarily exciting to watch, uh, but Javier Vasquez should be a tough test for him. And then Eddie Wineland and Demacio Page. Demacio Page returning for the first time in a year, and he is another excellent, excellent Bantamweight fighter that has had some really good performances in the WEC. And then you go to the December event, and they've already announced the uh, double headlining event. It's two titles on this fight card. Ben Henderson uh, defending his title against Anthony Pettis in his backyard uh, in Arizona. And then Dominic Cruz taking on Scott Jorgensen in what should be an incredible Bantamweight title fight. So, uh, you know, for as much as we talk about how good the WEC is, I, I mean, they keep proving those statements right by putting on amazing fight cards uh, time and time again. And they, they really are a can't-miss event. And, Sean, like you said, it's such a shame that they're overlooked as much as they are because this is some of the best MMA action you're going to see in any promotion, in any organization, at any weight class. Uh, and, and they do it on a consistent basis. And uh, the rest of the year is, is looking incredible. Uh, Matt, your, your thoughts on, on how WEC 52 and 53 are shaping up right now? Uh, spectacularly. Um, and WC, WC 52 looks like we're also going to have Rafael Sunsau against L.C. Davis and Mack and Semizer against Cub Swanson, two fights that will be on the undercard and, and be fantastic fights. Bar Palaszewski, Kamal Chalaris. I mean, it, it, you look at these cards and you think, man, you know, I wish they wouldn't load up these cards so much because we're going to have some thin cards. But then you realize, no, they just have that many really good fighters and that many really good fights that they can put together. Um, it, it helps that they spread out their events more than the UFC does. You know, they only run um, once every month and a half or so, once and a half, two months, so that allows them to load up cards like this. But uh, between WEC 51, 52, and 53, uh, we're basically going to get the entire, you know, basically every every big name in the WEC is going to fight on one of those three cards, um, and, and we're the beneficiaries of it. Uh, I love the, the top two fights at WEC 53, uh, Jamie, you know, you and I have been big Scott Jorgensen fans for for a while now, trumpeting his cause, and then nice to see he's going to be getting a, a title shot at WEC 53, and then uh, Anthony Pettis coming on really strong, going to take on Ben Henderson at that on that card too. Um, you know, maybe not the the biggest names involved in those fights, but two title fights and and four guys that have been putting on great performances for a couple years now, every single time out. So. Uh, you you got to think, despite you know not having Uriah Faber on the card, at some point these guys hopefully will have built up some goodwill with fans by the impressive performances they keep having. Sean, your thoughts here on the WEC's uh, fall and winter schedule? Yeah, I think you guys have said it all. I mean, the the WEC they, they don't put on bad cards, and you know if there's one argument that you can make for the, uh, the WC being absorbed in the UFC, and I know it's not possible with the Versus TV deal at the moment and everything like that, but uh, for the eventual uh, absorption of the, of the WC into the UFC, it's that it's, it's, it would be a lot harder to put on a card like UFC 119 if you had WC's roster as part of the UFC. Um, 
I mean, if you if you even just substitute WC51 with uh, for UFC 119 and throw the UFC hype machine behind it after people know a few of these guys, and that is that that card would sell. I mean, it just would. You know, you you get Jose Aldo on top of a card in the UFC, and I guarantee you that will, that will sell some cards, sell some pay-per-views. Uh, you know, so I think it's I think it's something something that's got to happen um, once they're able to do it. Uh, so you know, it, it's it's just a real shame. It's a real shame that they're going unnoticed on versus right now. Um, but I think, I mean, I hope that there's a plan to get this to get them taken care of. You know, once uh, once the TV deals work themselves out. I definitely agree with that, and I think having the bantamweight and featherweight divisions integrated into the UFC is something that just it has to be an inevitable and in that. <laughs> And inevitability, got that out. Um, it, it has to be because it, it's just the next uh, logical progression. And like we were talking about with with Jose Aldo, he absolutely deserves to be paid what the star that he is. He deserves to be on that platform. He deserves to be uh, seen by as many eyes as possible. And that's just not happening with the, the WEC on Versus right now. Um, but... I want to switch gears away from uh, the WEC and on to Strikeforce and some comments that Fedor Emelianenko made in a fan Q&A in Russia. Uh, the translations of the MixedFight.ru uh, report by LowKick.com. Uh, Fedor talking about um, not, uh, not fighting Bigfoot Silva in December and why that fight didn't come together. Uh, he says, I've said many times that I have nothing to do with matchmaking. Right now, Strikeforce are struggling to find me a serious opponent. Alistair Overeem keeps finding all sorts of excuses not to fight me. The remaining stars have lost in their recent fights, so the promotion has no desire to put them up against me. And Fabricio Verdum is still recovering from his surgery. In addition, I have only one fight remaining with Strikeforce. He went on to say, my next fight will be the last fight on the Strikeforce contract. I'm yet to decide whether I'm going to continue my fighting career after this contract expires. Uh finished up with, but again, I think it's too early to talk about it. I have to finalize the contract and prepare for the last bout. Matt, reaction to that uh, commentary from Fedor? I don't, you know, I take everything Fedor says with a thousand grains of salt because who knows how accurate the translation is that we're getting. Um, you know, is there something lost in translation? But you know, he's got to fight left, and, and I, I don't know who they think Strikeforce is going to match him up with if they have no idea what his future is after that. Uh, why would they put him in a position to um, succeed and, and, you know, take out one of their other contenders if he's just going to retire afterwards? Um, I think that's just posturing on his part, probably. Uh, they've talked about trying to work out a contract recently, and I, I don't see any reason why that would all of a sudden not be the case. Um, I think he just wants to be coddled by strike force or he's being told to say these things. I don't really know. But just give him the cage and fulfill your contract. People want to see him fight regardless of who he's fighting against. And there's, you know, plenty of options for him to fight. Uh, they just signed Josh Barnett, so it seems like that would probably be the most likely option because uh, if Fedor wins, you know, Josh Barnett didn't, they, they hadn't spent any time building up Josh Barnett. Um, and if Fedor loses, then they have Josh Barnett under contract, and all of a sudden, hey, he beat Fedor on his way out the door. We can we can turn that around and make something out of him. But 
you know, who knows, just get in there and get things worked out, get a fight scheduled, decide what you're going to do with your with your career. Um, that's all I really care about from Fedor right now. Just when something concrete happens, let me know. Well, I think there's a, a couple of telling uh, comments in here. Uh, first, it's, it's laughable that he's saying that Overeem is the one finding excuses not to fight him, uh, considering what's gone down with M1 Global uh, the entire time he's been involved with them. Uh, but then, talking about Strikeforce struggling to find him a serious opponent, yeah, there's there's two clear fights that should be on the docket right now. One is Josh Barnett, one is Bigfoot Silva. Fabricio Verdum should be fighting Alistair Overeem. That's what should be the logical progression after Verdum submitted Fedor. So at Bigfoot Silva uh, or Josh Barnett, those are the two. M1 Global and Fedor need to take one of those fights, and that's, it, it, that's what it needs to be. Plain and simple, that's what it should be. But the fact that he's saying they're struggling to find him a serious opponent, uh, is, is this not precisely what everyone was saying about him signing with Strikeforce in the first place? Uh, and the fact that he didn't sign with the UFC where he would have serious opponents on a regular basis. Um, I mean, circling around the same three or four guys in that to- in the top of that division, that- that's exactly what Strikeforce's heavyweight division is right now. They've got a very top-heavy division, but those guys can only interchangeably fight each other because anyone else on the roster is a, a four, five, six, seven, eight rungs down uh, below on the, the either – Name level, talent level, skill level, whatever you want to say. Uh, I mean, there's there's no one ready to jump up into that group at this point. So, uh, you know, it's kind of telling that he would say it's, they're struggling to find me a serious opponent when that has been uh, one of the issues with that that fans have had with him signing with Strikeforce in the first place. And one of the reasons that if they're having uh, trouble finding him a serious opponent for this fight, what's an extension going to do with Strikeforce? Uh, it, it's going to leave him with the same guys uh, in the same roster uh, and, and a few more fights to, to fill out with, with guys that clearly they're not getting together to put him in with. So um, I'm very interested to see what happens here in the next couple of months. But, Sean, your take here on Fader's comments and uh, what, what you think is going on right now with Strikeforce. Yeah, my thing is, if unless Fedor and M1 are saying, I'm fighting this guy on this date, I don't care what they say, because they don't say anything, ever. All they ever say is, this is what we're not going to be doing, this is what we're trying to do, but no one will let us, and this is what should be happening, but it's not happening. Well, thanks, because that doesn't tell us anything. Uh, you know, and it, it's like you said, the, 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 the idea that Overeem is ducking uh, Fedor is ridiculous, um, especially, I mean, all you hear from M1 is this is who we want to fight, this is who we won't fight. You know, they want to fight uh, their doom. And that's what they said after the Verdum fight. They want, they want to fight for doom, and that's what the fans want to see, apparently, according to M1. Uh, so, okay. So how – I don't understand, like, what's – what the problem is. So you're, either you're going to wait for them to come back or you're not. And if you're not, then who are you going to fight? If you don't know who you're going to fight, then don't talk about it. I don't, I don't care. You know, who, who are these stars that uh, Strikeforce doesn't want to match up with him? Like what Brett Rogers, uh, Andre Arlovsky, the guys, the two guys that he that he beat, uh, you know what Shandell Rosario, Bobby Lashley, who who's he talking about? Um, 
you know, who who exactly, it's like you guys said, who exactly is there for Fedor to fight? Now, I guarantee you they're not going to put him in with Lashley or, or Del Rosario. Lashley because it will be stupid. And Del Rosario because, you know, he's probably the one legitimate prospect they have in their heavyweight division uh, that, that's homegrown. Uh, so, you know, they're not going to put him in there on, on the last fight of Fedor's contract uh, because that would be ludicrous as well. You know, it's it's Barnett, it's Overeem, it's Verdum, it's uh, Silva. You know, which one do you want? I don't, I don't even care at this point about logic because the Strike Force title is meaningless. If it wasn't, they would have stripped Overeem of it two years ago and, and you know, had a tournament or something. Uh, but, you know, the the only reason they probably didn't do that is because it keeps Overeem under contract with them and, uh, and, you know, it's just it's just silly. The whole thing is silly. You know, fight and shut up. That's that's all I care about. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we got into this discussion with our roundtables last week on, on the heavyweight divisions in both Strike Horse and the UFC, and, and this is this is where, uh, you know, I come to the... You, you can't possibly think that Strike Horse's heavyweight division can compete with the UFC when you look at the fact that all they have fight is is each other in the top six or seven in strike horse i mean there are guys in the top 20 that you can match up with guys in the top 10 in the ufc they have those guys on on under contract they have the young up-and-comers that you can uh put in those fights that you can give those opportunities to have a breakout performance uh right now you're, you're in a situation where uh fedor only wants to fight verdum or uh overeem doesn't want to fight Bigfoot, it appears. Doesn't want to fight, well, maybe he wants to fight Barnett, but, you know, doesn't want to demand the same things he's been demanding out of Overeem. Uh, and you're going to have this, this same situation where Alistair Overeem is only going to be able to fight three or four other guys in, in, in the company. Josh Barnett is only going to have three or four guys to fight in the company uh, once they, you know, get a couple of wins and get a few wins because these guys are going to be losing fights and uh, aren't going to be viable uh, contenders or uh, competitors coming off of a loss or coming off of a couple of losses. So, I, I mean, the, the very fact that there's depth in the UFC uh, and they still have, uh, you know, most of the top ten uh, in in the organization makes that the best heavyweight division for me, and I, I, I don't think there should be any question about that. Uh, Matt, any, any other thoughts on, on, on that level uh, with that conversation we were having last week? Well, it's just frustrating to me to hear Fedor in his camp say, well, we either want Verdum or Overeem. Um, Overeem is the champion, and you just lost, so you don't get to fight the champ. And Verdum just tapped you out in 60 seconds. So you don't get to go, uh, we want a do-over. You know, you don't get do-overs in MMA. The only reason to ever have immediate rematches is if it's a controversial decision, which, again, even then I don't particularly like, or if uh, the fight ended in some fluky circumstances. There's nothing fluky about, you know, playing around in somebody's guard and getting tapped out. Um, that's a loss. You know, you, you you drop down a little bit and you work your way back up. Um, it, it feels weird to say this, but Fedor hasn't earned a fight with with Fabrizio Verdum or with Alistair Overeem when you lose, and he hasn't accomplished anything in strike force either. Um, every everything that we base our opinions on Fedor from is is what he accomplished in Pride, and that's several years ago now. Um, you know, even the Affliction wins can't really be taken into account. Uh, they were against Tim Sylvia, who is obviously a shell of his former self. And his former self wasn't even that great. He was just 
on top of a heavyweight division when the heavyweight division stunk. Um, and that was just in the UFC when all the good heavyweights were in pride. Um, and Andre Arlovsky, who we've seen as talented, but, you know, if you breathe on him too hard, he gets knocked out. Um, before, you know, he needs to accomplish something in strike force other than knocking out Brett Rogers before he can just uh, challenge for, for, for titles. Um, go out and earn your spot. Uh, fight somebody that, that matters. There are guys there. It's not a deep division in, in strike force, but there are guys out there that you can fight. You can fight Josh Barnett. You can fight Antonio Silva. He could even fight Shane Del Rosario if you want a really interesting matchup. Even though that doesn't make a lot of sense from a business standpoint for um, you know Fedor or Strikeforce. But you don't just get to, to call your shots like that um, just because they're co-promoting. They're not also co-owners of Strikeforce. Strikeforce is still the boss. They're still the matchmakers, um, and he needs to to have a little um, you know. Uh, I can't think of the word I'm trying to, to think of here, but he needs to take a step back and, and, and he needs to get a win under his belt before he starts making demands like that. See, and, and here's where my main frustration with, with Strike Force comes in because they're allowing him to call these shots. They're allowing him to sit on the sidelines and sit out uh, instead of playing uh, boss and playing matchmaker and saying, no, this is the fight that we've got for you we need you to take this fight, or these are your two options, pick one, that's what we've got, that's that's what you can do. They, I, I mean, they had a golden opportunity to take the power back from M1 Global in this negotiation, in this whole partnership, uh, after Verdum beat Fedor in June. Instead, Scott Coker immediately went to the, oh, we're going to go back and talk to them and see what they want to do, and we'll go from there. Instead of taking a stand, this is what we want to do with our company. This is what we're going to do going forward. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's it's got to be one one of the things where Strikeforce needs to take back the reins. They have not done it, uh, and and it comp- continues to be uh, a frustrating experience because they make themselves look uh, inept and incapable of handling the fighters that they have under under contract right now, and being completely incapable of doing any real negotiating with M1 Global, and they continue to let them call the shots. Uh, Sean, any, any more thoughts in this uh, conversation we're having here? Well, uh, if we if we follow the continued logic of the heavyweight title in Strike Force, um, then Fedor getting a title shot makes perfect sense because you've got Overeem, who lost to um, Sergey Kartanov and then got a title shot against Paul Buentello and won. And then you've got, uh, you know, there's only been two title fights in the heavyweight division. So the, the next one was Brent Rogers, who loses to Fedor and, uh, and get, then gets a title shot. Now you've got Fedor, who loses to Verdum, so he could get a title shot. So Verdum would just have to wait till someone beats him, and then he could get a title shot too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> changing gears once again, we've got just about seven minutes left in the show. Uh, once again, we're here every Tuesday from 9 to 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, sorry. Uh, so if you're listening on iTunes, make sure to tune in on Tuesday nights and, and join us live uh, and follow us on the web at MMATorch.com throughout the week or on your iPhone or Android phones uh, with our apps in both of those stores. Also on Twitter and Facebook, Twitter.com slash MMATorch, Facebook.com slash MMATorch. Uh, we had a, a few more developments after we uh, on the Chael Sonnen steroid front, uh, including a shakeup of fight cards at the end of the year as Vitor Belfort is officially out of UFC 122 uh, to face 
Anderson Silva. He has been plugged into that spot. Uh, he'll get Chael Sonnen's uh, fight against Anderson Silva. Nate Marquardt is stepping up on short notice to take on Yushin Okami uh, on that November uh, card in Germany. So uh, Marquardt faces Okami, and Belfour is getting right back into the title shot. He was going to get it in April. Um, I, I completely understand why the UFC made the move they did. Uh, I, I felt they still could have I, I mean, if, if Silva is looking at a February return, which uh, signs are pointing it's either New Year's Day or Super Bowl weekend that uh, he'll likely return, uh, they, they could have still run Okami, uh, Belfour, with the winner getting that shot. But uh, best not to risk injury here, and, and, and Belfour is, is taking the shot. He's getting the, the fight that they were going to put together for UFC 112. So, not completely against it. I completely understand why they did it with Chael Sonnen being officially suspended uh, for the year. Uh, he will be appealing it, and Dana White said there's more to the story than people know, but until we get uh, some other uh, side of it, all we know for sure is that Chael Sonnen tested positive for a uh, well higher amount of testosterone uh, than is normal. So uh, right now it's, it's Belfort Silva for the middleweight title, uh, Marquardt Okami in at UFC 122. Uh, Sean, your thoughts on this move? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I would say use Belfour while he's hot, but he hasn't fought in a year, you know, since he beat Rich Franklin. Um, but, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, if you want to get a fresh challenger in there, you know, he's fought Marquardt. Um, he hasn't fought Okami yet, but Okami does need another win to get in there. Uh, you know, who else, who else do you have to, to throw right in there besides Sonnen? So, why not use Belfort? That's fine. I, th- I think Silver runs through him um, probably because Belfort's not going to let him sit back and uh, and dance. So I think uh, it'll be a fun fight. It'll probably be pretty quick. Um, but you know, good stuff. I think it's I think it's fine. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be maybe not quite as embarrassing uh, as the Forrest Griffin performance, uh, but definitely a very clear win uh, for Anderson Silva. I, I mean, Belfort's not going to get completely embarrassed. I, I think he might get a punch or two in on Anderson, but I, I wholly expect to see another Matrix-style move and uh, Anderson picking apart Belfour. And that's that's one of the reasons I, I have no problem with the matchup, because I think it's going to bring out the exciting striker in, in, in Anderson, and we're going to see that aspect of it, and uh, we're going to see him in a fight again and, and having to do something in the middleweight division instead of being allowed to, to sit back on his heels and dance around for five rounds. Uh, yeah, I, should, I should say, I should say that if uh, if Silva has actually lost a step, then uh, in, in the striking anyway, then we'll know about it at this fight because Belfort can definitely knock him out. Very sure, very true. Matt, yeah, I think uh, from a sporting standpoint, obviously this isn't the the matchup you'd want. There's you know. 50, 60 guys in the UFC middleweight division who are more deserving of a, a title shot than Vitor Belfort right now, considering he has never won a fight at 185 in the UFC. Um, but from a you know a fan standpoint, I've I've been a Vitor Belfort fan since he burst on the scene, uh, you know, back in what, 1997 or whatever it was. Uh, so it'll be fun to see him in a, in a title fight again, and especially against Anderson Silva. I think it'll be a fun style matchup. Um, I give Vitor much more of a chance than I think you guys are giving him. I, I don't know if it was a matter of Anderson Silva being so worried about 
being taken down by Chael Sonnen that that's what caused him to get clipped a couple of times. But if if Chael Sonnen can catch Anderson Silva on the feet, then certainly Vitor Belfort can. Um, and I think even more so than you know not wanting to risk further injury to Vitor, so go ahead and put him into this fight. I think it's let's not risk Vitor flaking out, and uh, that was a disaster waiting to happen with him matched up against Yushin Okami. I, I think Okami has the the patience to to kind of wait out the storm of Vitor and, and grind him out. And, uh, you know, once you can get Vitor into the second round and put him on his back a couple times, uh, he starts to fade a little bit. And uh, I think the UFC would much rather see a Anderson Silva-Vitor Belfort fight than an Anderson Silva-Yushin Okami fight. So they can once again push Yushin Okami to the, the back burner for, for the time being um, and go ahead and get the Vitor Belfort fight in. So, like I said, it'll be a fun fight to watch, if nothing else. Uh, we can just kind of turn our minds off and forget about why Vitor is actually getting the title shot. What do you think about Nate Marquardt and how he matches up against Yushin Okami now in November? Actually, I like that fight better. Like I said, I think Yushin Okami uh, takes Vitor down, waits, waits him out, and, and grinds him out, and it becomes a relatively boring fight. I don't think he can do that against Nate Marquardt. I think they're going to go toe-to-toe. I think Yushin Okami is certainly one of the more improved fighters over the last two or three years. Um, and it's just flown under the radar the whole time. This could be a big coming-out party for him, um, or it could be, uh, you know, reaffirming that Nate Marquardt is no worse than the third-best middleweight in the world. Uh, agreed. Uh, Sean, th- quick thoughts on uh, Marquardt Okami. Yeah, I like that fight as well. I, uh, I'm going to have to agree with Matt that it's probably a better fight than uh, Belfort Okami. We get to see something, um, get to see uh, whether Belfort had uh, takedown defense or was able to... Uh, uh, improve his clinch game, but uh, you know I don't need to see that. I'm I'm good with the uh, the Mark Porter Kami fight. I think that's a really interesting fight. So good good clash of styles in that one. Yeah, I, we we've just got uh, a lot of really good action coming up for the UFC uh, through the rest of the year. You know we touched on it a little bit and we'll get into it even more uh, throughout the month of October. Um, you know Spike TV running a full slate of of Brock Lesnar programming throughout the month, calling it the month of Brocktober. Uh, we'll get the UFC primetime series uh, kicked off, uh, I believe, next Wednesday, uh, a week from tomorrow, uh, with Cain Velasquez and Brock Lesnar as they head into their UFC 121 fight. Uh, you know, uh, more weeks of the Ultimate Fighter, uh, free fights from from uh, London with UFC 120, uh, and a really entertaining card there as well. But UFC 121 is going to be a big event, but. Uh, we are running out of time here, so I just want to thank Sean Ennis for and welcome him back, and we'll look forward to more from him uh, in the coming weeks. And Matt Telke, as always, uh, for being my co-host. Hopefully Rich Hansen will be back with us next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Uh, once again, we're here 9 to 10.30 uh, Eastern Time every Tuesday. This is Jamie Pennock signing off.